looking at the first six verses of Isaiah 61. And Jesus read a few of these, and uh, but he stops for a convenient point so that we can go through the next few verses. And uh, we've been looking at looking at this whole series under the umbrella of God of the Impossible. God of the Impossible. That's basically what we've been praying for just now. God of the Impossible can do this. Yes. God of the Impossible. So I just want to read what Mick called his preamble to this series. He wrote, We live in the tension of the now but not yet kingdom of God. There are words that have been spoken over the nation and over WFC that seem outwardly impossible, or at least unlikely if previous years are anything to go by. And it is true that we can say at the start of every year, this is the year it's going to happen. Only for another year to pass without it happening, or so it seems to our earthly eyes. In Luke's Gospel, we see that the first thing that Jesus did when he started his public ministry, having first been led into the wilderness to be tempted, then returned in power of the Holy Spirit, he was to preach from Isaiah 61. And he told the gathering that today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So against this backdrop of wanting to see many impossible things, people being added, saved and baptised, 200 by 2020, finance for building work, a thriving youth group, flourishing children's work, etc, etc, let us be shaped by the prophetic announcement in Isaiah. Let's let faith arise. This is the year of the Lord's favour. We've got to believe it. We have to believe that God is who he says he is. We have to believe that he alone is the God of the impossible. That this year is the year of the Lord's favour. That today is the day of the Lord's favour. In our families, in our lives, and in the nation. I think sometimes we forget that God actually wants to bless the nation. Mm-hmm. It's just like we're quite happy in church. We're all right, we're all doing okay, and everything's going along swimmingly. Okay, we pray for people. But then we forget about the nation. We just go, come on, God. What are you doing in our lives? What are you doing, what are you doing in my life that is going to change something in me? God says, I'm the God of the nations, and I am the God of the impossible for the nations. You see, what we have to do is we have to confess our sins before God first. I mean, that's what uh, the, the lady who sent me that text this morning, she said, basically, what we're going to do, pray for the sins of the nation. God will, be, God will intervene for our nation. He wants to bring restoration to our lives. I want restoration. I'm sure you want restoration. I'm sure there's a lot of people in Wales so with all that in mind we're just going to look at verse 4 of Isaiah 61 and it reads they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated they will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations 
So I'm going to pick up on three words, see what we can bring out of this. And those words being rebuild, restore, and renew. And I'm just going to pick out a few people in the Bible as well that could possibly help us with all this. So people like watching buildings, uh, people like watching programs, sorry, about buildings that are going to be rebuilt. They love it. They watch gardening gardens that I remember when um, was it the Eden Project? He said, you get people in going, right, what it should be is like this. Or National Trust Gardens, and they go, what it used to be like was this. And they get buildings and they go, what we're going to do is we're going to restore this to its former glory. This is how it used to be. This is how it looked like. Experts come in from all over the country. Oh yes, this is what we're going to do. And then they go home and leave the work to other people. <laughs> Always happens, doesn't it? The following week they'll come back and they'll say, oh, no, it wasn't like that. We're going to have to turn it down again and start all over again. We don't have to go far from where we are now to see ruined buildings. Let's go to the Methodist Church. It's just down my door, which road it's on. Whichever one it's on, but you know where it is. Yeah. Methodist Church. There's what's left of Sandsfoot Castle. Nice. Then, if you want a more imposing building, there's Corfe Castle. Very imposing building. Only gets those up at Christmas. Oh, Christmas, I've mentioned Christmas again, don't we? <laughs> get it in all the time. <laughs> Well, you see, with the, there is one problem with National Trust property, especially the Corfe Castle, is that the, uh, the people who live in Corfe Castle wouldn't be too happy if they started rebuilding because most of their houses are built from the ruins of the castle. So for somebody to come along and go, sorry, I need that one in for. Just come on, bring it over here. But we do like a good building project. We love it. It gets compulsory during the something. So the first one, first person I want to bring in is a guy called Nehemiah. He's quite easy to find in the Old Testament because he's got a book named after him. So we don't have to go searching too far. So I'm going to paraphrase the book. Here we go. Nice down. So Nehemiah is cupbearer to the king. So he's got a very privileged position. He can just go into the king and, and say things. Drink wine just to make sure it's not poison. I'm up for that. There we go. <laughs> and then, so we're okay. So on, the, on one day, some friends of his come along and he says, okay, what's happened with the, uh, the remnant, the, the people who was in the exile? What's happened to them? And he finds out that these people in Jerusalem are living under great shame and are being persecuted. They're in trouble. But worse than that, <laughs> I don't think it was Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the walls were down. They were knocked down. They were blown up or something. And Nehemiah is so grieved by this that he spends days weeping over the city. He mourned. He said he wept and he mourned for several days and he prayed and he fasted before God. Sort of starts shaking things up now for us, doesn't it? We need to start praying and fasting, laying our lives before God. 
At the end of this prayer, he basically says, God, would you give me success and grant me favour before the king? So he goes to the king, and the king makes it, hello, what's wrong with you? Because your face looks a bit miserable today, and you're not ill, so what's wrong? And so Nehemiah tells the king, and the king says, okay, you can go. Go back to Jerusalem, you can go and sort it out. And Nehemiah goes. He's given letters of freedom to go through town, villages and everything. He's also given a letter to the, um, to the people who are in the forest, who say, oh, I'd like some of your woods, so start chopping the trees down because we need it. So he gets to Jerusalem, and he stays there for a few days, and then the first thing he does after that was at night, he goes around Jerusalem. He goes to see the damage that is around Jerusalem. The walls are down and the gates into the city are burnt. Now, that is important, so I want you to keep that in mind. The gates of the city are burnt. So after the inspection, he tells the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials and the people what's going to happen. And he keeps on dropping these words in. God's hand is on me. God has shown us great favour. And so the work begins and chapter 3 in Nehemiah tells us, tells the building of the wall, but here again, it mentions that all the gates were rebuilt. Chapter 6, verse 15 onwards, the walls complete, Nehemiah begins to restore the people. He restores them to their rightful positions. Remember, they've just been, they're tormented, they're in trouble, they're picked on, but Nehemiah restores them to their rightful positions. He restores them into gatekeepers. The choirs were restored. <laughs> yeah, fine, just sing solo, Rachel. Come on. It's good. Good job, The Levites were restored to the priestly duties. The residents of Jerusalem were appointed as guards, not only for the outside, but outside the houses. Then from chapter 8, Ezra the priest begins to read the law that was given by God to Moses. And all the people stood and confessed their sins and renewed their covenant vows to God. Then the wall and the gates were dedicated to God. The priests and the Levites purified everything and everybody, and it was followed by a huge party. Because it says in chapter 12, verse 43, the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. They weren't just going, we've had a nice time. They were rejoicing. They were rejoicing over the city. It's not just individual lives. It's over the city. Nehemiah rebuilt walls and gates of Jerusalem, not only on his own, but with the help of most people. If you read through it, it says that women and daughters helped as well. 
wasn't just the men who got all the praise for this. Everybody took part in that rebuilding. He restored people to their rightful places. He brought them together so that they could renew their covenant with God. The favour of God was on Nehemiah. So the next person I want to bring in is a woman who we shall give a name to. I think it's only fair. So let's call her Grace. You can find the story in John chapter 4. And again, I'm just going to go through it for you all. One day Jesus is heading back to Galilee and it has to go through Samaria. And to be honest, they were all getting a bit weary that day. So he sends the disciples off. He says, look guys, I'm going to sit here, you go get us some food. Just go and get us, I don't know, pizza. <laughs> Whatever you fancy going to get. And he just sits down by this well. Then after a while, sitting there, Grace comes along. She's coming just to draw water. And Jesus starts a conversation with her. He asks, asks her for a drink. She reminds them that they're from different cultures and different backgrounds. And they're actually, you're not supposed to hug. You're not supposed to, you know, talk. You just, I'm sorry, we're not even supposed to have this. We're not just supposed to be here together on our own. So they start chatting and the conversation starts about water. And it continues about water, but it's not really about this type of water, it's not about this. It's about a different kind. Conversation gets a bit more intrusive into her life. Jesus asks her about a husband. And even though he knows the answer, they start worshipping, they start talking about worshipping God. Where should we worship God? You say this, we say that. You say neither, I say neither. Let's call the whole thing up. They be begin to discuss this, but something inside Grace is changing. Something inside her is changing in an instant. First thing she does, runs back to the city, runs back to the town, says, come here, everybody listen to this. Listen to what's just happened. I've met this guy, could he be the Christ, the saviour of the world. But let's look at Grace. Take a minute looking at Grace. Here's a woman, rejected by the people of her town. She didn't go to collect water with the other women. She went in the heat of the day, alone. So she went when it was dangerous. The other women didn't want to associate with her. The other women didn't want to be around her because Grace has had six men. Grace was feeling a bit feisty that morning. She probably thought as she came up to great up to Jesus, she went, just another man like the rest. What the heck does he want? What's he doing just sat there? Obviously he's after something. As I said, she was living with the sixth man who wasn't her husband. It's no wonder that the other women didn't want to associate with her. 
They probably just despised her for who she was. Everywhere she went, she went alone. Then Jesus enters her life and through a conversation that lasted probably 10 to 15 minutes at the most, changed everything. Jesus rebuilt her life there and then. Doesn't say it, but you read in between the lines to hear it. She may have been living that life she led for years. I don't know how long men live, but then if she's had six husbands, if they weren't lasting that long, were they really? But in verse 15, it seems to me that here is a heartfelt cry of, I am fed up of coming here on my own. I am fed up of being alone and despised. I am fed up of being used by men. Just give me something that will get me out of this mess. Do we know people like that? Do we know friends, family, and just go, just give me something gets me out of this mess. Without saying a word, she poured out her heart. This is what I think. She poured out her heart without saying anything in that brief moment. And then Jesus looks at her and gives her faith. And he gives her hope to see that the favour of God can be hers. Jesus restores her to becoming a child of God. Jesus knows about her life, the men she's been with. She's now living under sin with another one. She knows he knows her loneliness. He knows that she's longing for the day when the Messiah comes. It's at the end of the passage. It says, uh, when he comes, he's going to explain everything. In that moment, when he comes, he's going to turn everything around. He's going to turn my life around. And Jesus looks at him and says, you're looking at the man. You're looking at the man. And today is the day of the Lord's favour on your life. And he renews her place in society. All of a sudden, from being a woman that nobody wanted to talk to, nobody wanted to associate with, nobody wanted to be even around, she probably went to the market and they just probably pushed through her, you know? All of a sudden, she becomes a woman who everybody listens to. She tells them everything. And because of her testimony, Many believed. So from somebody who is just another outcast, she's transformed a whole community. A life rebuilt, a life restored, and a life renewed. But let me introduce you to Harry, somebody else who I've given a name to. Find his story in Acts chapter 3. Harry's been a cripple from birth. 
He's no means of support, so every day he is placed by his friends at the entrance to the temple. He has to just beg for money, beg for food, just give me something. Another cry of, just give me something. I just wanted a coffee, for the sake. He's not known any different. His whole life has been exactly the same. Been crippled. And that's it. Can't get there. Along comes Peter and John, and I guess they would have noticed Harry many times. Because if they're going in the temple to pray, Harry's always there. Who's going to move him? You just leave him there and you get on with your day. But today, today, something different. It's going to happen. See, for Peter and John, this is their first recorded miracle of healing. I mean, they just seen Jesus die on the cross. They were getting over that. They saw the risen Jesus. Next came the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. That was followed by 3,000 people being saved, baptized, and added to the church. They'd just gone through an awful lot in a very short piece of time. And now, here's how it Here's power. 3,000 people. God, absolutely amazing time. Absolutely fantastic. <coughs> Here's power. They couldn't give him money because the offering hadn't been counted. They hadn't got any food. Starbucks was shut. Or Greg's. <coughs> so that was no help. So they had to give him what they had. And all they had was Jesus. That's all they had. I suspect that in that moment, Harry went, gee, thanks. That probably just went through his mind. I'm looking for food, I'm looking for a bit of money, I'm looking for a coffee. Gee, thanks, mate. Really. But he hadn't got the slightest notion about what was going to happen. <coughs> In that split second when Jesus took his hand, the favour of God poured into his life. Harry's physical body was rebuilt. He says that as soon as Peter took his hand, his feet and ankles became strong. Instantly, he literally began jumping for joy. Harry's physical body was restored. He was able to go into the temple courts. First thing he did, praise God. And he made the most of it. Because reading the text through, people go, isn't that Harry you just used to be over there? Isn't it that Harry? And he went, I'm coming to praise God. I am coming to praise God. Why? Why now was he able to go into the courts and temple courts and praise God? Because being a cripple, being disabled, you weren't allowed to come under into God's presence under Levitical law. You weren't allowed because your defect, 
If you go through Leviticus, you see all the laws. It says, bring, God says, bring me everything that has not got a defect. Being crippled was a defect. You was not allowed to cross that road. <coughs> Harry would have known that. But now, because what Jesus achieved on the cross a few weeks ago, he was cleansed and able to come into the presence of God. Yeah. Harry's life was renewed. He was able to take his place back in society. He started to he probably started to contribute to the wider society. Look what God has done for me. First thing, I'm going to praise God. Second thing, I am going to live that out in my life. You could, you could say that Harry's life was a place long devastated. It lay in ruins because of a crippling disease. But just look at it now. So what about us? Three people, three words. So what about us? We have to play our part in a story. So earlier on, I asked you to keep in mind that the gates were burnt down in Jerusalem. It was important to Nehemiah because they were the first, one of the first things that got rebuilt. Restored the gates. Gates controlled who and what came into the city. <coughs> Nehemiah had his enemies, just like we do, both physically and spiritually. Going back to Nehemiah, there were three guys who just kept saying, Nehemiah, it's rubbish, it's all going to fall down, a fox could jump on that and it'll just knock the walls down. So, you know, it starts with little snidey remarks. But then it gets worse. See, the, the enemy's hope was that so long as the gates were down, they could get in and infiltrate the work. They could get in and dis disrupt everything. But if the gates were in place, and if the gates were strong, nothing gets in. There was nothing that they could do. The devastated gates of Jerusalem were letting everything and everybody and in, and the people were being crushed. Maybe Grace, the woman who Jesus spoke with, maybe she was allowed Maybe she allowed her physical gates to be burned. She didn't mean it to happen. She really didn't mean it to happen to have all keep living with a different guy every other year or something. She was just looking for somebody to love. And then he left her and died. So she consoled herself with another guy. The same thing happened. So she consoled herself with another one. I don't know. I don't know. But then Jesus, then Jesus came into her life. He helped her to see the truth of who she really was. She no longer needed to live in the sin of her life. I'd like to think that she went home and booted the old man out. 
I'm starting my life again with Christ. There are times when we have to do things where it may seem difficult, but it will be the best thing. Maybe that Harry didn't mind that he was a cripple. After all, that's all he'd known. Maybe his spirit inside him had given up. He'd been told so many times that he was detestable to God. You're not even worthy to come into the temple. His gates had been burnt years ago and he'd surrendered. Maybe he'd allowed sin to whisper into into his ear, this is your life. Just get used to it. Nobody's actually going to bother with you. I think some of us may have heard that. Nobody's going to bother with you. Why do you want to go to church? Why are you just using it because it's a happy place? Totally wrong. For some of us, it might be that you never get healed this side of eternity. But we can't let that define us. We cannot let that define us at all. I love the stories. Some of you may have read this one. I love the story of a Christian 17 year old lad. He had an accident when he was young and 13 years in and out of hospital. Asked in an interview if he thought his living condition was fair. He said, Yeah, it's fair. It's fair with what I've got to go, what I'm going through. So why? He said, because God's got the rest of eternity to make it up to you. Isn't that fantastic? You might just be living with something and you just go, yes, but God's got the rest of eternity to make it up to you. We don't have to be crippled for sin to cripple our lives. We can be the best athlete, we can be the best looker, we can be the best at that, 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 that. But sin, we can still allow sin to come into our lives. So if we've given up in certain areas of our lives, if we've surrendered, and said, well, that's it, we've fooled ourselves with the statement, it's who I am. If we let some of our gates be burnt, allowed sin to sneak in, if we allowed it to whisper in its many disguises, you're not good enough. We are all gatekeepers. We have to play our part. We're gatekeepers of our lives. We're gatekeepers of our homes. We allow what we want to come in. There are times when God says, you've got to rebuild that wall. You've got to rebuild that gate. What we listen to, what we read, what we watch on TV, where we go, what we spend our money on. That has to be measured to what we allow into our lives. Rebuilding, restoring, renewing lives are all done through acknowledging and confessing our sin to God. Maybe we need to hear those words again and believe them. Wherever we are, let faith arise. Let your faith arise, because as your faith arise, you're building your gates. Not Bill Gates, you're building your gates. You're restoring your walls. Let faith arise. This is the day.
This is the year of the Lord's favour. And God is God of the impossible. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that wherever we are in our lives, whatever situation has come in front of us and we just said, yeah, it's fine, it's not going to harm me, it's okay, I'll just do this once, then I'll stop. Father, wherever we are in, in, in thinking, well, it's fine, we can watch that, we can read this. Father, wherever we are in our minds, you're saying, actually, I don't want to talk to that person anymore. I don't want to see that person anymore. Lord, would you restore gates? Would you restore the walls in our lives? Would you make those gates strong so that God... When we look at you and there's something wrong, we can still turn to you and say, God, you're God of the impossible. And I believe you because you entered the lives of so many people in this world and you saved them, you rescued them, you restored them, you rebuilt them. Father, help us to see that we are children of the God of the impossible. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.